Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Our reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to pray to you in faith, to sing your praise with gratitude, and to listen to your word with eagerness. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our series this week on our church distinctives. And this week we'll be focusing on worship. Specifically, we're going to explain the various elements of our worship and then why we worship the way we do. But before we get to the main act, I want to set the stage by laying out a couple of presuppositions. In the preface to Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis describes Christianity as a big house with many rooms. His book, he says, is an invitation for people to enter into the house, to come into the hallway, but that the goal is for each person to get into a room. For it's in the rooms and not in the hallway that there are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. So in other words, what he's saying is find a local church, become a part of that body, and mature in the faith. But he goes on to qualify what he means. You must be asking which door is the true one, not which pleases you best by its paint and paneling, but rather, are these doctrines true? Is holiness here? So in other words, he is not saying that all rooms are equal. And your choice should not be based on your preferences, but that biblical truth ought to be the deciding factor for which room or church you choose. And this is where things get dicey. Because it's at this point where one must say, this church is better than that one. Or this church is more faithful to God's word than this other one. And this is where I want to set the stage for everything else I'm going to say. Because we do need to be honest about the differences between what we do here at TRC compared to what other churches do. But also recognize that one of our other distinctives is Catholicity, which is what Matt will address in two weeks. And so there is a right way to talk about worship and a wrong way. Lewis goes on to say this about those who enter into into other rooms of the house. Be kind to those who have chosen different doors, and to those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them, 
That is one of the rules common to the whole house. And so I proceed on these terms, that while it is necessary to emphasize the differences in our worship versus those of our brothers and sisters, and even that these are not mere differences, but that one is better than the other, the point is not to criticize or condemn other churches, but to emphasize what we do with the intention of maturing so that we can become more Christ-like and perhaps be an encouragement and a blessing to our brothers and sisters as we model faithful biblical worship in Huntsville. And so to that end, let us now consider what God's Word has to say about our worship. We will first examine the structure, which is commonly referred to as covenant renewal worship. Now, our form of worship is rooted in the structure or shape, you could say, of the biblical covenants and the sacrificial system, which we find in the Old Testament, which can be a red flag for many of us who are raised up in a New Testament church. And this concept of a New Testament church is something we are studying right now in in the Sunday school class. So if you're not attending the class, I would encourage you to listen to the recordings But for our purposes this morning, I'm just going to say that the way many people understand the differences between the the New Testament and the Old Testament and and its worship um, is that the New Testament is a completely new thing. And therefore, New Testament worship doesn't look like Old Testament worship at all. There's no connection. But this is not the correct way to understand the whole story from Genesis to Revelation of how God draws near to his people. Now, it is true that we do not worship or we do not do the same things that they did then. So, for instance, animal sacrifices. But the fact is that the New Testament expects us to understand our worship in light of those Old Testament practices. Paul expects this in our sermon text for this morning. He says this, again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Often, people read this passage, and they spiritualize the phrase living sacrifice. After all, Paul goes on to say that this is your spiritual worship. And so what happens is that many interpret living sacrifice or spiritual worship to mean their emotional response to God. And what happens is they believe that they are offering themselves as living sacrifices when they get the feels or when they do their quiet times or when they are singing along to that worship song in the car or when they do anything that fits into their subjective idea of what worship is. But Paul is using this phrase objectively, and his audience would have understood the reference. They would not have spiritualized what Paul meant. And what he meant is that corporate worship is vital. It is the proper response to what Christ has done for us. The first chapters, the first 11 chapters of Romans have been this rich theological exhortation on the wages of our sin and how the sovereign grace of Jesus Christ breaks in and saves us from the death that we deserve, which then leads Paul to say at the beginning of chapter 12 
Therefore, brothers, because of the mercies of God toward you, do this. And what is this? It is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual worship. And again, this does not mean spiritual in the sense of emotional or ethereal or even mystical. We don't get to define this word according to our preconceptions of what we think worship means. This word spiritual, in fact, means something very specific. The only other time this word spiritual is used in the New Testament is in 1 Peter 2.2, which says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In this verse, and in Romans 12, the Greek word for spiritual is logikos, which is where we get our word logic. So the analogy is that for babies, milk is logically or obviously how they grow up, which is why they long for it. And in the same way, God's word is logically the way that Christians grow up. So they ought to long for it. For it. Likewise, in Romans 12, spiritual means logical. And so because of the great mercies of, that God has shown us, it is only logical, it is only rational, it is only reasonable that we present ourselves to Him in worship. Peter Lightheart puts it this way, Responding in worship is the only sane way to live. All that we have is gift. And so the only rational stance in life is one of constant thanks for the gift of every breath, every heartbeat, every good and perfect gift that comes from above. And then he goes on to say that in worship, we become a different sort of people, a grateful people in the midst, in the midst of a humanity, even our enemies, as I said earlier, in the midst of a humanity that does not acknowledge God as God or give thanks to God. A thankful people is a people attuned to reality, he says, reality as a gift of the Father through the Son and the Spirit. So Paul is first emphasizing that presenting ourselves in worship is the only logical response to God's mercies to us. But the other thing that Paul is doing, which his readers, again, would have understood clearly, is that he is connecting this new covenant worship the presenting of our bodies as a living sacrifice to Old Covenant worship. <clears throat> in the Old Covenant, the Israelite could not offer themselves to God. There was a veil between them and God, preventing them from drawing near to Him. Instead, they would have to bring an unblemished animal, either a lamb or a goat, and lay their hand upon the head of that animal and kill it. The priest would then sprinkle the blood upon the altar and burn portions of that animal, and the smoke rising up from that burnt offering would be the physical representation of that animal ascending to the Lord, who would then either accept it or reject it. Paul is now saying that Christians are able, in the new covenant, to take their place on the altar as that sacrifice. And of course, because we are in Christ we are an acceptable sacrifice. The, the only way we can be an acceptable sacrifice is being in Christ, who was the true sacrifice, the Lamb of God. 
<clears throat> in the same way, well, let me back up. Our, our praise then, so once we come to the Lord as a sacrifice, our praise is the smoke that ascends up to God. And, and this is not intellectual ascent. And it's not an emotional response when you hear a moving song on the Christian radio station. It's gathering for corporate worship. Take note of that word present. Present your bodies. That word means to respond, to answer. In the same way that the Israelites presented animals as their sacrifices to the Lord on the altar in the new covenant, we are to present our own bodies as living sacrifices. And this is answering the call to worship. Jesus says, come, and we respond. We obey. We gather together as the bride of Christ before the throne of God. And this is the first step in the flow of covenant renewal worship. It begins with the call to worship. Israel was commanded to worship Yahweh, to bring their offerings before Him. And we, likewise, do the same. We answer the call to worship. And the rest of the service then flows naturally out of this response. We answer the call. We then confess our sins. We are then consecrated by God. We commune with God. And then we are commissioned. So it's the five C's of covenant renewal worship. Call, confession, consecration, communion, commission. And each of these C's are fulfillments of Old Covenant worship, which is really, it's found throughout all of Scripture. But if you're looking for a nice distilled picture of what covenant renewal worship looked like in the Old Covenant, and you want to follow along, turn to Leviticus 9. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I will read the pertinent verses, which are verses 1 through 5, and then the end of the chapter, which is verses 22 and 23. And so as you're Turning to Leviticus 9, I'll, I'll note this, that, Aaron's, that this is Aaron's sacrifice. Aaron, of course, was the high priest, which directly connects to our new covenant worship as we are the priesthood of all believers. In Christ, we share in his priesthood. And so, like Aaron, we have special access to God as representatives of this world. I'll begin in verse 1. On the eighth day... Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And now verses 22 through 23, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. We have all five elements of covenant renewal worship here. First, we have a call to worship, which we've already covered. The second thing that Aaron does is he brings a bull for the sin offering. 
And this, of course, corresponds to our time of confession. But notice that in both the Old Covenant worship and the New Covenant worship, we deal with sin at the beginning, before we move further into the service. The reason our worship is structured like this is because sin must be confessed and forgiven before our praises will be accepted. And if you think about this, it is very practical. Consider marriage. If one party has sinned against the other, it's very difficult to move forward in terms of affection or intimacy. If the sin is not dealt with first. Now, just because there is conflict in the marriage, it does not mean that the marriage is broken. Vows have been made. You are still married. But that doesn't mean that the relationship doesn't first need to be restored. It's the same with our relationship with God. When we sin, it doesn't mean we lose our salvation. God still loves us. We are still united to Christ, but the relationship needs to be restored. So we must confess our sins. And He always forgives us. Once our sin is dealt with, then we can move into the next phase of worship, which is consecration. In Leviticus 9, this is represented by Aaron bringing a ram for a burnt offering. Now the Hebrew word for burnt actually means ascension. Now the reason it's typically translated burnt offering is because the animal is burnt up on the altar. But the idea is not so much the burnt part, but that the animal that the representative animal is burned up so that the smoke will ascend to God as a pleasing aroma. And this is the same idea in our covenant renewal worship. Once our sins have been forgiven, we lift up our praises to God through our singing and our prayer, much like the smoke of the burnt offering. But the reason it is called the consecration is because that word consecration means we are set apart. We're set apart by God. We are holy. We have answered the call to worship. Our sins have been forgiven. And now a series of events happen in the service that confirm that we are indeed the people of God. We are the set apart ones. We are consecrated. And this happens first in the prayers, in the praise, which are offered up to God. And it happens when we bring our tithes and offerings to God, which is not just about the money, but symbolizes our whole being. Because, like Peter said, all that we have is a gift from God. We bring it all to Him. But it also happens when we receive the Word, both in the reading of Scriptures, as we just heard, and in the sermons and our exhortations. God's Word is given to us in order that we might change. And really, the way this happens is very much in tune with the way the burnt offering takes place. When the animal is brought to the altar, before it is burned up, a knife is used to cut up the animal. If you go back and read all of Leviticus 9 later, you will read about how the various parts of the animal are cut up and then distributed in different ways before it is burned up. And this is very much how Hebrews 4.12 describes what is happening in New Covenant worship. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, the New Testament purposefully uses Old Covenant sacrificial language to describe New Covenant worship. There is a correlation there that we are supposed to pick up on. Now the next element of worship that we see in Leviticus 9 is the peace offering. Now Leviticus 9 only gives us a description of the portion of the animal that Yahweh consumes, which is always the fatty portion, the the tastiest part, right? Um, However, if you go back a bit to Leviticus 7, you will see a little more detail about this particular offering. And you will read that this is the one offering that the people could eat. Yahweh received the choicest portion first, but then the priests and the people, they get their portions, which they then were to eat right away. So you can see how the peace offering corresponds to the Lord's Supper. It is the part of the service where we share a meal with God. But it's not just any old meal. It is the meal that declares peace. Our sins are forgiven, and we who were once enemies of God have now been reconciled to Him. The contents of this meal, the bread and the wine, the body and blood of our Savior, are what make this meal possible. It is a meal in which undeserving sinners justified through the sacrifice of Christ, sit down and eat with God Himself. And finally, Leviticus 9 shows us that Old Covenant worship ended with a benediction. In this passage, we are only told that Aaron lifted up his hands to bless the congregation. But if you, the the corresponding passage in Numbers 6.24 reveals what that blessing was. And it's one that we often use here at the end of the service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And so we have the five C's of covenant renewal worship. Call, confession, consecration, communion, and commission. This is what we do every week. And as you just saw, There is a very solid biblical reason for why we worship this way. We are doing what C.S. Lewis told us to do. When you enter the house, you do not pick the room you will inhabit based on your personal preferences, but whether it is the truth. And here at TRC, we feel very confident in the biblical foundation of our worship. But there is more to it than that. Yes, we we primarily practice covenant renewal worship, because we do see a clear model in Scripture, but we also do it because we see the fruit of worshiping this way. And this is exactly what Paul is referring to in Romans 12. First, he sets up the necessity of worship, which we just read, and, but then he tells us why. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, What is good, acceptable, and perfect? When we gather for worship, our minds are renewed, which then leads to our transformation, which in turn allows us to properly discern the will of God. In other words, drawing near to God in worship transforms us into people that model genuine human life before the world. And this is why thoughtfulness in worship is so important. If our worship is governed by our preferences, 
our desire to entertain others or to be entertained ourselves, then we will miss out on the God-ordained means of our growth, confession, robust congregational singing, corporate prayer, a service saturated in Scripture, biblical preaching, and weekly communion. But it's not just for our own benefit. We need to be thoughtful about the way we worship because our worship changes the world. In the same way that the Old Covenant priests represented Israel, we represent the world. The call to worship actually goes out to the whole world. But Christians are the ones who respond, or at least they're supposed to be the ones that respond. And so when we come, we not only anticipate a change of our hearts, but we call on God to act in the world, to judge the world, to bring justice, to heal, to restore. And to many years, this sounds cruel, to ask God to judge the world. But this is the most merciful thing that we can do for them. The only way the world changes is through a direct confrontation with their creator. And the only way that we can possibly ask God to do this is if we are first willing to draw near to him ourselves and ask for his judgment on us. And this is ultimately how old covenant worship is transformed into new covenant worship. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior who became the true sacrificial lamb dying on the cross for our sins. And now, as a redeemed people who share in the resurrection of the Lamb, and as ones who are called out from amongst a dying world who not only hate us, but hate themselves, and most of all hate Jesus, we must be willing to die for them. And that means, first and foremost, presenting ourselves before God, confessing our sins, offering our bodies as living sacrifices to be dismembered by the Word of God and then put back together through His body and through His blood in order then to be sent out into the world to share the love of Christ with our neighbors. This is how God changes the world. A little over a year ago, Roe, v. Wade was, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and there were all kinds of reasons why this happened. I remember one meme that showed a line of dominoes. And the first domino said, 2011, Obama makes fun of Trump. And then the corresponding dominoes, you know, you had Trump, you know, uh, running for president, getting elected, nominating conservative judges. So there was this, the dominoes are falling, and the final domino to fall was Roe v. Wade. And of course, there is some truth to this. There were political and cultural factors that caused one thing to lead to another. But what really happened in reality, is that Christians prayed and sang for God to act. And he did. Now, it's true, there is still plenty of work to do, including in the realm of abortion. But just because there is wickedness in the world, we should not be deceived into thinking that God does not act on behalf of his people's worship. When we heed the call, when we assemble as the people of God, confessing our sins, lifting our prayers and praise, submitting to his word, bringing our tithes and our offerings, and then dining at his table, then he will respond in strength. He will reward our obedience. He will answer our prayers. He will accept our praise. 
And He will empower us by His Spirit to love one another, love our enemies, and extend the kingdom in our city. Glorious God, in whom there is no darkness, grant that Your church may shine forth her light to others, so that they may see her good works and give glory to You. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with You in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.